the problem is, is that you're competing with people that are really, really good at doing that. And I'm not saying you can't get really, really good at doing that, but breaking into that is really hard. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are in the world. I had to get used to that, switching that around, because we are doing this in the afternoon right now. Instead of evening, so I had to actually use my brain to forcefully say that, but let it turn out okay. But we are back at a different time than usual weekly. And the reason for that being sometimes we have guests that are kind of, you know, in a different time zone and we can't always fit them into our weekly regular schedule. So we decided since this month to experiment with, you know, two different times, depending on the guest, to more accommodate European guests and maybe some from the U.S. depending on their schedule. So that's why we are earlier today. But without with that being said, Sean, look who we have here today. We've no. suddenly plugged into Hive a little bit. When we had guests, we subtly kind of mention it. Like I often try to drop it in, but uh, yeah. Oh, oh, this is actually fun. We we got somebody jumping in from uh, Stockholm. So thank you for joining in again. That's pretty cool that you're all the way in Europe. I'm guessing this is a much better time for you to to watch the show than uh, our regular uh, programming. So, okay. So today's guest is somebody that I admire a lot because basically he's doing what I on one hand dream of doing, but on the other I'm not committed enough to actually try to do. And uh, it's actually somebody that I've met pre-Hive. Well, I've met online pre-Hive. And it's somebody who has always helped educating newcomers, people that are interested in Hive, even the platform before Hive, way back, way back when it was Steam, always helped out and tried to create tutorials for everybody to understand how uh, this technology works. So for the first time, I'm actually not the one that's going to be talking about Hive. We've got somebody much more experienced, but also somebody who made the shift to the blockchain earlier than most of us. Maybe not the earliest, but definitely is somebody who transitions uh, into it full time. So without further ado, let's introduce our guest for today, John G. Olsen. Welcome, John. How you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, we're so I'm really excited to have you here. I like I said, I just usually read your posts, go to the tutorials. You're one of the few people that if somebody's new to Hive, I'm like, just go to the hiveguide.com. You're gonna get all the information there. And I do have to ask because we talked about your shirt uh, a little bit, and people are gonna notice the plan B with the Bitcoin B. So, can you elaborate a little bit? on the shirt for us. Let's see, where do I start? This is going to be fun. So yeah, I've, I've been building businesses online for over 20 years now. And I used PayPal for years, 17 years of being in business with PayPal, built really successful online businesses. Everything was wonderful. April, 2017, they send me an email and say, we're shutting your account down. That's it. And they never gave me a reason to this day. They still have never given me a reason, but it basically ruined my life. It, my business was destroyed and it's my fault. I mean, hindsight is 2020, but it, it, it basically 
took all of how I was earning my living and just took the rug right from underneath my feet. So I had to reinvent myself. The company I was owning at that time, we dabbled in Bitcoin and uh, Litecoin actually uh, a little bit, kind of 2014 ish. So pretty early, like it was they're pretty there right at the right at the beginning. And whatever, it just kind of we, you know, had our fun with it. And then it, we sold it. We sold Bitcoin to 500 bucks because Bitcoin was never going to go higher. <laughs> like How does that feel looking back? <laughs> you know what, dude? But like, like hindsight is 2020, but it's it's funny because like we got in around about 100 bucks. Like that's kind of when we, so the fact that we 5X'd our money, it was like at the time, so I can't go back and go, oh, I'm an idiot. Oh, I actually, I say that all the time. I look in the mirror and I tell myself that daily. But I can't really get too upset about it because, you know, you, you never know what the future holds. So we we won. We we, we we got something out of it. But anyways, we we kind of left the, the crypto stuff and just kept building our business. And then 2017 happened. PayPal took the rug from under our feet. And I was pretty down and out for, for a couple months. But then something clicked. I was like, Crypto. Hmm. Let's look into this more. So we took our online businesses and started bringing them over to more blockchain stuff. So the plan B is uh, my plan A was PayPal. <laughs> my, my plan A was fiat. My plan A was dollars and cents. See what happens when you rely on that, how good it goes. So plan B is kind of the, you know. This is, this is so know. interesting. To give you a per perception, because... Like when you started like saying like, and I was fully focused on PayPal, we mm -hmm. were like, can you give us advice for a country where PayPal isn't allowed? And and then you just like, in your interface, like I, I lost access to my PayPal account. And we're like, oh, okay. So now we really have something to talk about because we're nice. in a country where basically you can't receive PayPal payments with a local bank. You need right. to have an international bank account. And even myself, I got shut down by PayPal as well. Till this day, also, they never yeah. explained. No. But I'm guessing I don't live in Europe. I don't live in the US either. So right. as soon as they found out, they just shut down my account. And so I think that's very interesting that you can provide a perspective for people who are actually like, we can't use PayPal. Because one of the excuses we hear here a lot when it comes to e-commerce, when it comes to dabbling with online services is, yeah, we don't have access to these kind of things. Now, right. the question that I want to ask you, because I tried to find some information, you're actually an email marketing expert, an online marketing and social media expert. So mm. could you tell us a little bit more about like how you started, in, because you started over 20 years ago, uh, how did you start in the, in the online space? Uh, yeah, I was I was actually in the music industry before. I was an artist manager. I was, we had a little, you know, DJ kind of group that we had, and we were doing the whole touring thing. And, you know, I thought this was going to be my life. And uh, no, it wasn't. It actually was miserable because you don't make any money in, in the music industry unless you're, you know, Kanye or something, right? So I started looking at ways and you got to remember this is 20 years ago so or, you know late 90s early 2000s i'm looking for ways to promote my artists online because i'm sitting here going this is going to be the future this is going to be where everyone's going to start advertising and marketing their their music and their acts and everything online and i literally i i'm no word of a lie i clicked on a banner it was one of those old banners that said make money online like 
this is what I literally clicked on a banner that said you can make money online. Click here back in like 99 or 2000. I can't even remember. It was so long ago. And it just kind of the, you know, down the rabbit hole, I started like poking around and then I started learning about traffic generation. And this is way before social media. I'm talking long time ago. And it just one thing led to another. I found these really cool ways to generate traffic, started really focusing on it built online websites and just started building membership sites where we, you know, new people coming in, trying to learn how to make money online. And, and it started with me training and doing a lot of the training that we do uh, now in the hive guide, uh, click track profit and, and, and the like, but that's how I got my start was literally clicking a banner, trying to find ways to promote my musical artists back then. So how common were, Nowadays, especially in the crypto space, you know, we get a lot of, you know, Discord DMs, a lot of these, yeah, pump and doms, a lot of these scams coming mm -hmm. through. How common were these types of banner advertisement, personal DM advertisements back then? Is it something from today or was that very common it, back then? It's it like all the time, right? I mean, there was always some banner or some, you know, and this is way even before like the word spam was a thing, right? Like no one knew what spam email was and, you know, because it was so new, like you getting an email was a big deal back then. And then someone saying, oh, you can make a lot of money by clicking this link. You're like, yeah, okay. And, you know, it ended up being like a scheme or a scam. They were everywhere, man. And, and it's funny because just like you said, you, you go to the, you get the discord notices or the telegram notices, you know, some pump and dump thing that's coming. It's like, it's, it's just the same stuff over. It's like it, nothing's changed. It's still someone trying to weasel their way to get money off someone unsuspecting trying to take advantage of it and it, i'm sure they'll reinvent themselves when the next thing comes it's, it's always been here yeah they are really reinventing themselves if you see them sometimes now it's like whoa this really looks like a legit business oh yeah yeah so yeah. we got we got some people joining in jager is joining in from from twitch he's saying back then spam was still emergency food uh, exactly. It's also tuned in. And Motev is uh, commuting and listening. Yes, Anil, we started out early. We're trying to see whether or not the, the afternoon slot works as well. So we're doing an early show today. But you started off as well with, or I don't know if you started off, but you did a lot of email marketing back in the day as well. Is mm -hmm. email marketing still a thing? Is it still a legit way to get around? Or is it even become bigger over the past years? I, I think it's... Remember I just said, like, you get that feeling of getting an email and you were really excited back then. I still get that feeling. Now, it depends on the list that I'm on, right? Like, if it's someone trying to sell me, you know, the latest, greatest potion, it's like, whatever, man. Like, you know, wine me and dine me a little bit before you try to, you know, marry me. But with, with email marketing, I've always said, and something that I've trained people for years and years, it's, it's stop thinking of it. As email marketing, it's more relationship marketing. It's more how do you build a relationship with the person on your, your list? How do you get them to actually know, like, and trust you? And that's really the challenge. It's, and this sounds really oversimplicated. Simplify, excuse me. Anyone can literally generate, like, leads. Like, that's, that's kind of like once you kind of get the formula down, anyone can sign up to an email list and you start generating an email list. It might not be tens of thousands of people, but you can get a couple dozen, you can get 50, you can get a hundred people just knowing some basic stuff. The problem is getting them to know, like, and trust you. And that is where 
I think email marketing can is is much more effective now than it was back then because back then people were just trying to sell you something. Now you can separate yourself from the crowd by actually trying to get to know your audience, get to build a relationship with the people on your list. If you do that, now I'm not saying you're going to go try to get, you know, 20,000 people to know your dog's name or your kids, what school they go to. I'm not saying like that, but you offer value. You, you, you get out there in front of people and you're, you're actually giving them something that they look forward to. That's, that's the, the, that's the golden nugget. I think when it comes to email marketing is focusing on the people and building the relationships. So. It's more like community building now, right? Because if you look back, I'd say I'd wager a lot of the people who were mainly on email, because that was the main form of communication back then, kind mm -hmm. of migrated to the social platforms, to the other types of platforms, and kind of left email in the dust in yeah. a way, giving the opportunity for creators again to get intimate with their communities and get direct feedback. I actually got a, remember I sent you a photo a few weeks ago, Sean, look, from ConvertKit, one of the you know, newsletter tools. And there's a few stories there from creators. And it's really, I read through the whole thing and it was really interesting to see like how they've built over five, 10 years, build that list. And it's only after those, you know, long hours, consistently creating newsletters, engaging that kind of something click and that's when their careers as a creator online kind of picked up because they have been a were able to create that relationship and building so i feel like that's the direction we're going now in now and i can fully resonate with what john's saying right here mm. yeah we're having we're having some fun fun stuff in the comment section <laughs> so mm. i was saying the nigerian <laughs> prince has stepped up his it skills Definitely. I mean, the, these these things are getting. Sometimes I even like, is this for real? This this can't be real. And basically, then you know, it's 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 not true. <laughs> and Ryan says, I I should have clicked on the banner 15 years ago. Maybe I would have been where John's at. And clickbait uh, creators are taking over. And yes, people are a little bit confused. And we're actually gonna call it an afternoon convos uh, for for now. So okay, so to give the the people that are watching an idea, John, like how much time do you spend in crypto space on a, on a daily basis? Dude, it's, it's, it's taken over my life. It's because this is the thing, like when going back to the story about how, you know, plan B came up, it, it made a lot of sense for me to focus my businesses on back then it was steam, you know, the blockchain that shall remain nameless. Now it's hive, but uh, it made a lot of sense. So what I did was I fully engulfed, like I totally went all in. I said, this is what we need to do. This is going to be the future of online business. It's going to be the future, everything. Like if you're in the crypto space, you know that what blockchain represents, it's total world, world change. It's just, it's going to, it's just such an awesome thing. Specifically in my business, it made so much sense. So when you ask like, how much time do I spend? You know, we got, we got 1440 minutes a day. If there was 1,441 minutes a day, I'd probably spend that extra minute doing something crypto related. It's 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 taken over my life because my online business is such a big passionate thing that I have. It's it's just this perfect fit where it's always crypto. Some trying to find some angle to put a blockchain or a crypto spin into what I'm building online. So I, I quickly wanna ask on that. So briefly, see you mentioned 2014. 
you guys were already into Bitcoin yeah. and then kind of dropped it off. You're more focused on the, the online business with, you know, yeah. PayPal Fiat. And it's only in 2017 when everything crashed that you started to look into that again. So am I right that you actually didn't follow the developments in those three years as much? I, I watched a couple of documentaries on Netflix and that was about it. Like I, I really, it was kind of like, oh yeah, but it's funny you ask that because like when I understood what Bitcoin was, I got it. Like it was just like one yeah. of those things where it was like, this is brilliant. This is going to be awesome. I should look into this more. And for whatever reason, I, I mean, I during that time, like 2015, I got married. You know, my focus was on my wife. Like, and I'm still saying it is. I love her. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, but like, kind of life happened, and my businesses were 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 you know still going pretty strong. Everything was wonderful, beautiful. Traveling a lot because my business partners are in America and I'm in Canada, so a lot of going back and forth. So it wasn't that I forgot about Bitcoin or crypto. I just kind of my focus was elsewhere. So, but that's why when 2017 happened, and then. That's when the boom started, right? Yeah. Like right when the boom started, I was just like, hey, man, I should probably look at this a little bit more. So that, yeah. that, That's really interesting because I heard about Bitcoin, I think, 2012, 2013 from friends in the Netherlands. But mm -hmm. back then, you know, it, it wasn't as easy to get access to it, to any of the cryptocurrency. And especially here from where we are, right. even doing online shopping is kind of a barrier for many. So I found it interesting back then, but... I, I couldn't really access it, so uh, it just flew over my head. And it wasn't, as you said, 2017. Actually, end of 2016, January 2017 is when I started going into the space as well. And mm -hmm. I just really checked real quick on our Hive accounts. We actually have our Hive account earlier than John. John. And yet, yeah, is... yeah, yeah. No, no, no. There, there are two things that you should definitely separate. First of all, the first six months that I had my account, I was just lurking. I was like, I, I wasn't even lurking. It was like when the boom, when the end of 2017, when yeah. Bitcoin was kind of slowly taking off, that was when I realized like, wait a minute, I, I have an account somewhere. I have to, I have to check it out. And, and the second thing is I was always, and I still have it to this day, I'm still afraid to bring everything that I have offline to bring it online because I'm still, I, I didn't have PayPal shut me down. If like mm -hmm. a local bank now would say like, sorry, we're going to stop the access to your money. I think more and more that's going to gonna start come to play. But like our clients are very traditional as well. So that, right. in that sense, I still have to make this transition switch that we could accept online payments with crypto. And another thing that kind of, and you can advise us on this a little, John. One of the things that's really kind of, putting me in an uncomfortable situation is the fluctuation of the currencies. Mm -hmm. It's like if you're into crypto and you have a company that earns like in Bitcoin or Litecoin or any coin for that matter, you really don't have, you, you can be dependent on having to cash it straight away because let's say there's this big bull run and you, you kind of people pay you when, when Bitcoin is at 80,000. And then when it's at 40,000, you all of a sudden have bills to pay and you can't cash out because you lose half of your money. So, mm -hmm. so if you want to transition in from your business, which is mainly offline and you want to take it online, you want to bring it into the crypto space, like how do you deal with the, the pricing and those kinds? I mean, the, the easy answer would be like, you know, focus on things like stable coins and stuff, but you know, all, all stable coins aren't created equal. Obviously I'm very, <laughs> 
biased. I think that the Hive blockchain has the best stable coin out there because not only is it decentralized, because with Tether and USDC, all this stuff, it's like they say it's backed, right? With like one US dollar is always behind it. Using bunny ear quotes, like sure it is. But with HBD, which is the Hive one, it's it's code that's backing it. It's not fiat that's backing it. It's code. So a stable coin to me, the HBD for people that might not be aware of the high back dollar or the high blockchain dollar, it's pegged to one HBD will always equal, give or take, one dollar worth of hive. And the code makes sure it stays relatively there. Now, the fact that it's traded on different markets, there's always price fluctuations, but generally especially over the past couple of months with the HBD stabilizer project and the, the hard fork and stuff, it's really kept the peg pretty close. So someone who's buying and selling something online for five bucks, you go online, you want to buy, you know, I got my kid's toy here. It's five bucks. Great little toy. It looks like an Axie Infinity, doesn't it? Kind of, sort of, a little yeah, bit. Sort of. Uh, you know, so it's five bucks. And if you give someone $5 worth of Bitcoin today for this, it might be, five times this tomorrow, or it might be a fraction of what you gave. But if it's a, if it's a stable coin, you know that you're given $5 worth of HBD today, $5 of HBD tomorrow is relatively going to be the same. It doesn't go too crazy. So a traditional entrepreneur, a traditional offline business, they'll understand that, right? Like trying to tell them, Hey, you know, go and go and get the, 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 the Bitcoin and give me some Bitcoin. That's just like, oh, well, what's the price going to be tomorrow? I don't know. But a, but, a, but, a, but a stable coin makes a lot more sense for an offline or an online business that's trying to get into blockchain stuff. So I'm obviously biased. I would say the Hive back dollar is the best or the Hive blockchain dollar, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, that's what I would say. Speaking of being biased, so I, I want to quickly figure out so it, it made, you already said blockchain made sense to you bitcoin made sense but in 2017 in particular when you went you know all in crypto how did you decide on which crypto route because crypto is a broad term it's a very yeah. very broad term how did you decide that it would be hive or back then steam mm-hmm. what was the frame of mind or the criteria that you were looking for when making this decision on going all in? Use case, plain and simple. To me, I, I stumbled across Steam and I actually read the white paper and the blue paper. And I know people are like, you actually read that stuff? And if you've ever read a white paper for a crypto project, you need a PhD in computer science to figure some of this stuff out. Like it's just, it's another language. Like it's like aliens from Mars wrote this stuff. Like it's just, they don't make it simple for everyday people. Right. So, but I actually managed through it and I understood what they were trying to do. I understood delegated proof of stake. I understood the SMT projects, the smart media token project that they had, the tokenization of the web, the, the technology and then apps built upon it. It made sense to me, but more importantly, I could actually use it every day. I could make a blog post and put it out there. So here I am, an online business affiliate marketer who basically is told you need to be creating content. I can 
create content that's immutable on a blockchain, not only is it out there forever and ever, amen, but it's also I can get paid for. Are you kidding me? I can get some crypto for this. And that blew my mind. So use case was was what attracted me to Steam. I mean, back then I was, you know, I got my Binance account. Like back then you couldn't even get that Binance accounts. Like you they used to be selling Binance accounts on eBay for like a hundred bucks because you couldn't get signed up. It was just this, it was crazy. But I had Binance and I'm buying all these like power ledger and ABC token and you know, every token crashed, power ledger crashed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, they promised the world. Like, you read this stuff, and it was just like, oh, this is fantastic. But then you'd read their white paper, and then, oh, yeah, we're going to launch in 2025. It's like, <laughs> okay, cool. So it's just speculation. You're basically a casino. You're praying and hoping and crossing your fingers that this thing's going to take off in 10, 15 years from now. Well, Steam, Hive, I could use it right then, right now. And there was development going on, and the SMTs never really launched, but I could still post to stuff. I could post back then. It was DTube. I would post on DTube. I get my videos up. I didn't have to use YouTube. Sorry. I love you, YouTube. I know you guys are streaming on YouTube. I love you guys. This is what was so cool to me. I could actually use it. So that's what hooked me for sure. No, but I, I want to jump in because uh, quickly about the SMTs. Uh, mm -hmm. and it's going to go a little deep for people watching now, but we're, we're going to try to keep it simple. So basically, the SMTs never launched. But what we're having now, the second layer tokens that they're on Hive, basically, aren't that the SMTs? Like, wasn't that the promise that was supposed to be delivered? So SMT, smart media tokens, the whole idea was tokenizing the web. So you could be a business and you could put a token on your business. We had an online forum. So our idea was to create an online forum. And the token would be for this online forum. People could earn tokens on the forum just as easy as they could earn it on Steam. So that never came to fruition. So then, like you're referencing, Hive Engine comes around. Back then it was Steam Engine. And the whole idea was that anyone could pay the fee, press a couple of buttons, and create their own token and put it on whatever they wanted to. The code was there. The development, you could take any developer could take the code and put the APIs and all the whatever the, those smart guys do. I don't even know. What are, I, I have no idea how this stuff works. No, I'm sure. But it was just, it was really fascinating that you could, you could take these tokens and create on anything you really wanted to. You could put them on anything. So the, why it's not considered an official SMT is because it's not off the layer one. Like it's like Hive Engine is a smart contract and then it's built upon like all of the tokens are built on the hive engine it's not the tokens are built on to hive they're built on the hive engine which is a separate entity but it's still on the blockchain super confusing everyone's probably watching right now going what the yeah, hell is but so so because we talk about decentralized uh, decentralized decentralized ecosystems like most people right. that are watching don't understand like there is no company there's no owner to hive it's like right. a group of people that came together decided that Justin's son was trash and kind <laughs> right, of decided right. we need our own thing and it should be really decentralized. And that's something that's different from Steam where there was still a centralized entity, which was the right. reason why it was you were able to sell it. And I'm still trying to figure out like, so how decentralized is Hive Engine, for instance? Like if, if Hive Engine, the people behind Hive Engine decide like, we're going to stop today, like uh, yeah. do, do we lose everything or is there a solution to that as well? 
Well, they're 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 working on it. Like it is like the way that they launched it, it was centralized. Like it was a couple guys encoding, and actually the guys that were involved in Splinterlands for that, you know, are are running the show. So it started out very centralized, but that's just the way that they launched it. They're working on it to be more and more decentralized. We're actually uh, me and my business partner for ClickTrack Profit. We're top ten witness on Hive Engine, not on Hive. There's multiple witnesses now on Hive Engine, so it's getting there. It's not there yet by any stretch, uh, but there is redundancies in place. You know, it's it's all on blockchain. It's all you know, it's all there, but it still needs some work to do. So a lot of the big developers on Hive are thinking, how do we get that SMT model and and do it. So you got Deluxe, those guys are developing stuff. Uh, I know Block Trades and all of his development team, they're working on stuff. So people are looking for that decentralization so that it's it's immutable and you don't need to worry about, you know, anybody tearing it down. But it's it's coming. And again, Hive technically is only about a year and a half old, right? I mean, yes, the technology is there with Steam and BitShares and all that stuff for for Five years now, but Hive itself, without the steam it pulling the strings behind the scenes, Hive's only about a year and a half old, and we've already done some pretty amazing things. So I think give us another year and a half, two years, it's blockchain is going to rival any of the big ones. Yeah, I mean, Splinterlands was the biggest crypto game in 2020. So that kind of gives you a little bit of perception. I quickly, for people that re- are watching this and are a little bit like, okay, can you explain? Can you explain to people what witnesses are and how the witness system works for for Hive and Hive Engine? Right. So it's it basically what a witness is. That's just a fancy word of just saying you know someone who runs the servers, runs the the nodes, and the way blockchains work it has to reach consensus, especially in in delegated proof of stakes and and you know even even proof of works too. But once I think it's seven in, in Hive specifically. I think it's seven or 12. I can't really remember the exact number, but seven or 12 on Hive have to make the change. And then then it's that's consensus. But it's, see, with Hive Engine, it, it's really interesting. And this is, this is a really good point because this is why it's not decentralized 100% yet. Because there's the development team who kind of do their thing on Hive Engine and then suggest it to the witnesses. And the witnesses either approve it or, or disprove it, right? But we're not all in this big group together and we're not making all these decisions. It's kind of like they're coding things. And if we agree with it, then it'll push. So it's witnesses- kind of like a department going to the CEO or the board of directors yeah, for yeah. approval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we gotta we gotta get the blessings from the, the powers that be. Or you know, that's that's what we don't want to happen. We want it to be decentralized, where it's it's you know, consensus is reached and it moves forward. But it's it's still a work in progress, I'm not gonna lie, but it's 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 getting better. It's a lot better than it was. So yeah. But would true one hundred percent decentralization actually be a good thing because in a sense there's still little groups you'll need them to you know that have the knowledge that have the authority that have yeah. an insight in a particular area be it you know development or uh, long-term vision that needs to make this decision it's it's actually if you look at it in a similar way uh, analogy to you know governing a, a country or something it's an uh, ecosystem that mm-hmm. has to be run by people so then being devil's advocate, would 100% decentralization be possible and would it be a good thing? 
there was a there was a guy who used to post on Steam, and he and he and he went away, and I don't know what happened to him. But he made a post when I first joined, and I thought it was brilliant. He did this kind of like triangle thing, and he said, "You, we kind of need a little bit of everything. We need the developers to actually make this stuff work. We need the content creators to build a community and get people engaging. But we also need investors because without each one of these, the other one fails." And that's like this beautiful vision. Decentralization is this beautiful idea on paper. When it comes to proof of stake, if I own, you know, 51% of the stake, is it decentralized, right? Hive has got things in place. And this was the faulty thing with Steam because the Steam at Inc. team had that ninja mine that owned the majority of it. So they sold it to Justin Sun. Well, Hive doesn't have that ninja mine. We took all the ninja mine and put it in the DHF. So it's it's, it's actually funding development, which is hilarious. It's such a middle finger to, to Justin Sun and stuff. But we we have no ninja mine in Hive. So think about, and, and it's funny because we just talked about this on, on my podcast just earlier today. You would have to buy so much Hive that the price of it would go to 20, 30, 50, 70 bucks to buy 51% of the hive that's out there. The price of it would go through the roof. So what would the what would the community do? This is the beautiful thing. If someone went and spent all that money, first of all, every single one of us that had a bunch of hive, we would have our own islands by then because we'd be so rich, but we would just hard fork again. You know, like that, that okay, you guys can do it. Go ahead, take 51%. You've shot the price of hive to the roof. We've got the code. You know, it's 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 open source. As anybody can fork this stuff, we'll just fork it again. You know, like stick a fork in it, see what happens. I mean, obviously that's not going to happen because the price of it would go skyrocketing. But that's where I think true decentralization comes into play. No one person is in control, and as soon as one person thinks they are in control, the community, the collective, the decentralized community, will just say, "Have fun with it. We'll go do something else." I mean, it's it's what in the comments, yes. I think this is exactly what it's about. Once it reaches a high level of decentralization, you only get stronger, and yeah. you you can't break it. And that's that's kind of how Hive became a thing. And in the beginning, I was a little bit worried. There were two things that worried. Like in the really beginning, was was who was going to stay for the money, and right. who was going to come for the community? Because of course, meaning that the hardcore community left to Hive meant. You could actually earn more on Steam because a lot of people that were creating content left left there. So, and then of course the the Hive community was like, "Listen, if you're posting on Steam and on Hive, mm. we're not gonna upvote you on Hive. You're gonna get your upvotes on Steam. We're just gonna gonna leave you behind." So that was mm. one thing that was kind of a little bit concerning for me. Another thing that was concerning was when people came to Hive. Hive is pretty much because of the decentralization. There's no no centralized company kind of pushing people to develop something or go for something. Right. So it's either the community likes you and you get rewarded for it and you continue building it, or the community doesn't support you and you get frustrated because where you had the, the, the company that was kind of giving you push like, okay, you're doing well on Hive. If you're not into a tribe, basically it's like, okay, nobody really, there's nobody out there. Right. So, so how have you experienced, because you are, of course, one of not only in part of th different tribes on Hive, but also kind of running the show or being the, the person behind some of the tribes on Hive. So 
How do you feel about that development? Is it actually, when it comes to decentralization, a little bit better that there are these tribes and there's like no central entity kind of being there for people that don't yet know where to go? Right. See, that's that brings up the, the kind of going back to SMTs. So not only can you, you know, create immutable communities on Hive, but you can also now with Hive Engine, you can put a token on these things. So you look you look at the track record of some of these really, really popular tokens that have been built now on Hive Engine. You got Leo Finance. You've got proof of brain and I'm smashing pens. You've got even my token, CTP. You've got all these different you know, income generated tokens like bro index. I mean, you got all these different tokens, but what's really unique is that someone might have 50 hive power, but they've got 150,000 Leo power. So they're still on hive and they're still getting their little bit of hive when they're doing votes and stuff, but they're a whale on Leo. And that's where the communities and the decentralization really plays a point, you know, really can be effective because you don't need to be a whale on Hive. You can literally set up your own community. You can create your own token and the market will obviously dictate the value of the token. And you you can let your creative juices flow. And, And as an entrepreneur, that's very attractive. And I think what we're seeing is more entrepreneurs kind of seeing this going, ah, so now you got Splinterlands, which is just going through the roof. I mean, they've got a token too, the SPT, and now they do the SPS. I mean, they got multiple tokens. They got DEC too, three tokens now. Jeez, man, that's crazy. You got all these different projects on Hive Engine where where entrepreneurs are really finding their community and knowing that you know what, you might only have a hundred bucks, but a hundred bucks will get you you know what's Hive's like forty cents. So you know I'm horrible at math, but you would only get a small amount of Hive. But that new token that just launched that has a strong community that might be trading for under a quarter of a penny, that hundred bucks, now all of a sudden you're a whale on that new tribe. And we saw that with Proof of Brain. We saw that with Leo. And we saw that with a lot of these tokens that started out with super low prices, but strong community. And that is the opportunity for entrepreneurs to find that and really bring their communities here. Looking at it from a perspective, say, you know, we got some entrepreneurs thinking they've gone through a similar phase as you and they want to delve into this blockchain space. And we're talking about opportunities for entrepreneurs. We talked about community. We talked about price versus community, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea is that, you know, community comes first. That's what I'm getting from you. How would an entrepreneur have to look at the token space in particular from hive to i guess build a community and then capitalize on that mm-hmm. what would be okay gaming is something that's really you know everyone loves gaming but what would be ideas not everyone loves finance but finance is where money is mm-hmm. from your perspective what would be avenues that entrepreneurs could explore that's kind of underappreciated on are undervalued right now? I think there's a big opportunity for musical artists, musicians. The music space, I think, is huge. I mean, you could you think of your, you're an act and, you know, you're, you're trying to book gigs and you're trying to get live shows and stuff, but it's really hard. COVID has kind of hit, so no one's really going out to the bars and stuff like that. But you know what? You can do some live streams. So here you go. Bam. You got 3Speak where you can upload this stuff. You've got Vim where you can live stream this stuff. 
Now all of a sudden, and you can sell your music online using crypto. You you plug into your community or your fans because that's really what fans are. It's a it's a community like minded, right? And now you can say, okay, what's my options on Hive? I can set up a community for my fans, my community, you know, where they're talking, they're discussing stuff. I can set up a, a, a token where it's a hundred B to send up a token. And I think that maybe $40 or something, give or take to set up your own token. That's tradable on a couple of exchanges. Now you can start rewarding your, you know, like if someone makes a comment on your community, sure. You can upvote them with your hive, but you've got your own token. So now you can start giving them the tokens. They can start earning the tokens. It can be a loyalty. You can do a loyalty program with these tokens. You can do so much stuff with it where, and that's just music. I mean, we've seen people, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Would that, would you say that there is a technical barrier for these people if they would explore it? It's a lot better now though, than it was when Jean-Luc and I joined like back then. <laughs> I was, I had no idea what to do. I really had no idea what to do. I, like everything, like people, when people come in now and they're like, it's difficult. I'm like, wow, we have, there's hive on board. There's the hive guide. There's so much stuff that yeah. can help you out. When I started out, I had to figure out everything for myself. And yeah, I think it's growing. I also think there are so much, so many opportunities like, the thing is, like, if you look at the communities, you already mentioned Leo Finance, CTP, and those communities that are really thriving. I mean, Splinterlands, I'm a big right. B-City fan as well. But then you also have some newer communities, like there's also a very big makeup community, a Spanish-speaking right. makeup community as well. You have to really find those communities yourself. That's, mm-hmm. I think that's the difficult part. But once you're in, in a community, if you're like into affiliate marketing and you find out about CTP, you don't have to search for anything else. You know, for like, for a fact, you're going to find people there that have similar interests. And I think that's still a, a big, a big thing is that we might not have enough communities yet. I, I don't have, have you tried Rising Stars? Yeah, I've, I've, I've messed with it. I, 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 and again, yeah, that's a really good point yeah. because we're using the music example. I mean, you got Rising Star where I'm pretty sure you could talk to the developers of that and kind of figure out a way to integrate your music into that, create your own NFT with it, or, you know, like, and there's the vibes token too. I mean, there's so much stuff you can do, but just like you said, you just got to find the community plug in, or if you don't have it, start building the community, you know? That does take time, though. That's the big misconception that you can just show up and say, hey, I'm, I'm starting a community. Come and hang out. You know, I mean, you, you know, like you guys do do these live streams. Like, you know, I remember the time the, the time when I started doing a live stream. I think I had my mother in the audience and that was it. That was the first person that watched. And she's like, you can do it. You'll be something one day. And, you know, it grows from there. But it starts and you got to start. And that's the best thing about plugging into these communities. They will support you and they will continue to support you. And it's a lot easier, I think, to develop a following in a community here on Hive rather than traditional because that's, you know, it's everyone is small mother. and, you know, everyone wants to help each other grow. So actually this is an opportune time, I'd say. Because yes. uh, the moment it gets easy, what you see is what you get for everyone then it's too late. Then it gets saturated. 
yeah. then it will be hard to kind of you know differentiate yourself um, from the ma- masses. I always tell a lot of my students and stuff because they're they're online businesses and they're always told you need to do social media and create content. And where are you supposed to go? You're supposed to go to Instagram. You're supposed to go to YouTube. You're supposed to go to Facebook. You're supposed to go to Twitter. You're supposed to go to TikTok. Go to Snapchat if that's still around. Whatever. You're supposed to go. You're told to go to all these places. The problem is, is that you're competing with people that are really, really good at doing that. And I'm not saying you can't get really, really good at doing that. But breaking into that is really hard. And... It's a lot easier because think about it, like to share revenue on YouTube or something like that, like you need like 10,000 subscribers, 10,000 hours, 1,000 subscribers, whatever you got. How do you get to that? That's the question. And as online entrepreneurs, you could bust your butt and you're trying to get comments on your WordPress blog and you've been blogging for six months and you're getting crickets. Like you're, no one's coming to and interacting with you. Now do the same thing that you're doing, but do it on Hive. Watch what happens. Now, just like you said, it's a lot easier now to first, first of all, get onboarded, but also to make noise here. You're competing against, you know, 5,000 active accounts a day blogging compared to 5,000 people a minute uploading an Instagram video. What are you going to, you know, where do you spend your time? I mean, sure, the reach on Instagram is bigger, but I say build on the blockchain first because if you had a couple thousand people following you on Hive, and you say, hey, we're going to go to Instagram and start doing stuff. That's a lot easier than going right to Instagram and saying, hey, I'm here creating stuff. Come and engage with me. I, I want to switch it up a bit to Splinterland gaming. <sighs> yes. Because, you know, I, I'm an avid gamer myself. Sean Luke knows this. I have not explored it yet. I have dabbled Why? in that. Uh, uh, let me finish. Let <laughs> me finish. I have dabbled a bit in Decentraland, played around there. I have checked out Splinterlands, kind of like a card game concept. So first of all, the game in question, how similar is it to a game like Hearthstone? Are you familiar with Hearthstone? So disclaimer, I've played one game basically my entire life, and that's Call of Duty. Other than that, like when it comes to gaming, so all of this card stuff, I'm, I'm... I'm aware of it and I'm familiar with it, but never played it. You know, like people say Magic the Gathering. It's like, I know what it is. Never played it. All right. Yeah. But I know, I know what you mean. How similar is it? From what I've seen, it looks pretty similar mechanic wise. But then here comes the tokenization and the economics question. Mm -hmm. How do the economics and the comp and does the competitiveness uh, in Splinterlands work? Like, to keep people compete in leagues or their tournaments or their prizes to be won? Or can oh, people man. place bets? Or how huh. does that work? <laughs> Go ahead, John. <laughs> oh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, take your pick. There's leagues. So every two weeks, there's a league. So you compete to get to the higher leagues. The higher leagues you get, the more rewards you get at the end of the season, which is I think John Luke will be able to attest to this. Opening rewards crates at the end of the season is about, you know, probably as addictive a thing you can do and as exciting thing you can do. And and it's just, it makes your day, you know? It's just... How so, so you have loot reward chest. Is it? But, but, uh, you have loot reward chest. 
and you can you have the end of the the season which is like john said two weeks and you have daily rewards if you do the quest so to get people away from just playing their strongest team all the time and using the same team all the time they have daily rewards where they try to get you to switch it up and right. you have to understand you're playing against like tens of thousands of people all over the world because splinterlands is i think every league has at least ten thousand people playing so whenever the great thing about the game is when you go online and you go play a match there's always somebody waiting to play you so that if, if it wasn't there it would be like okay we're waiting i don't have any competition but because there are already so many people playing online you always have somebody to play against and then the rewards thing is you have to decide for yourself because you don't you start start out with a little bit you don't start out with much so i decided to just put 25 dollars in i paid like 10 10 bucks for a summoner spell book which you need to start the game properly and i tried a bunch of cards which were really cheap and i had no idea what i was buying but i just bought the six cheapest cards on the board and i actually did some stupid things as well and then after a couple of weeks i was like wait i can rent cards Right. Then it started becoming interesting because then I realized that I could rent certain cards that could make me win more often, which could lead to bigger rewards. But then some of those cards, even when renting them, are pretty damn expensive. So I would have to win at least 20 games to get back the rewards from the cards that I've rented. So there is all there are some strategic decisions that you have to make. And of mm -hmm. course, if you go big and you do the right things and push all the right buttons, you can really get a very big ROI. And if you just do stupid things all the time, you're, you're going to lose money. So it's, it's, it really depends on how much effort. I, I don't know. I can only speak for myself. I spent like 25 bucks, and I'm now slowly growing. And I'm kind of considering whether or not I should join a guild, because you can also join guilds, like right. different groups as well. Or you should decide to play in a higher league because you want to get more rewards because you have certain tiers and the higher tier you are the more rewards you get at the end of the of the of the season and then you also have to decide am i going to buy, buy a pack i made the mistake of buying a pack without any potions so mm. when i opened up the pack i was like okay this definitely was not the same value as i paid for but there's so many levels there are really so many levels to it does the Pareto principle apply, like the 2080 rule, that you you have a, a small group of winners who you know reap big rewards, and then the the majority or the average person is even either break even or they lose? I I'd say so, but but you gotta remember just just what John Lou said. There's different levels. So for for example, my level is not playing the game that much. I know that I suck at it, and I know that there's there's people out there that are amazing and have it down to a science. So I'm looking at it as an investment. I'm looking at it like, okay, when I was growing up, we had basketball cards, baseball cards, all these trading cards. I understood opening a pack and seeing if I got that really valuable card in the pack. Same model. It's so, starting to make sense. Yeah, I see it. Right? I see so I understand that these cards – that are not you can't it's funny because i actually you'll get a kick out of this john luke i actually have a couple of physical steam monster cards right here these are from these were promos what? yeah i got i got these 
I went to Steamfest in in Poland in 2018, and they were giving these out. So this is the old, this is Splinterland. The Steam Monsters back then, it wasn't even Splinterlands, right? Got Frost Giant, right? And then I got uh, I know Frost Giant. I have. Yeah, I got a Gold yeah. Dragon, you know, Gold Legendary right there. But these, like, I don't. These are just like little promo things, but. These can scuff, right? These can get the anger, you know, these can break and they can get, and that lowers the value. But an, an NFT, a digital trading card, never goes out. So for me, if I'm going to invest on a gold foil legendary in Splinterlands, I know the only way the value goes up and down is the market. It's not on how well I keep the cards or not. So as an investor, that's what got me hooked to Splinterlands. Now I'm starting to play it a little bit and I'm starting to understand things, but I suck at it, man. Like, I don't even know. I, like, you know, like I said, I get to, like, Silver League, and if I get the Gold League, it's a miracle, you know, and that's a small miracle, and that's just middle of the ground. That's not even, like, a high league. So, yeah, on a collector side of things, that's what I focused on, and that made sense to me. Again, going back to, you know, use case. I actually could use this. I could use this. I could rent the cards. So there's a there's a there's a passive income model with it. I don't have to play at all. I can play with the cards and make some money and and you know rewards. Wow! But I can sit there and rent them out because there's people that aren't going to spend five hundred dollars on a gold foil legendary. But you know what? They'll spend five bucks a week to rent it. I can provide that if I own these cards. So there's tons of things you can do with this game, not just play it. I'm definitely gonna check it out now. Uh. <laughs> it's it's an addiction. I saw a card today. I think Steve it was content a ideas. Yeah, I think Steve C shared a card that he has a card in his collection that goes for 25k, or at least the cheapest one on the market is 25k. I'm like. I've never, I can't rent that card because it's not available for rent. So there's yeah. still cards out there that we don't get to see. Like if you're in a lower league, there's certain cards out there that people play with that yeah. you don't even know they exist until you play with somebody. And that's also for me, like two weeks ago, I was playing against people and all of a sudden I was getting like in the top 40, top 20 people within my league. And yeah. I started playing against people that had cards that I had never seen before. And then all of a sudden you have to, start reinvesting your time again to to understand what these where these cards come from can i rent them can i yeah. play with them as well it's really is, is there a limited supply on the cards like within the whole ecosystem say you have 5000 players there's only you know 10000 cards and the, doesn't matter if the ecosystem grows you only have these 10000 cards or did they you know add new cards over time they add new packs, so new series of packs, right? So they had alpha, beta, promo, reward. Well, reward you get for just like John Luke was saying about, you know, doing the daily rewards and at the season's end. But they just sold out of Untamed, which was their latest pack set. And DICE has got like 35,000 packs left. Chaos Legion is their next series. That's coming out, I think, end of September, they were saying or maybe later. So there's always new cards, but that's exactly really good question. It's like, what happens to these cards? Well, once they're off, you can't buy them inside the game. Sure, you can buy packs on secondary markets, people that invest in these and try to resell them for a profit, but there's only a certain amount of cards. So like, and they go through all, they got all the stats too of these certain cards. I think it's like some of these gold foil legendaries, there's only like 150 of them ever. And there's already like 120 of them that have been mined. 
So there's 30 more of these things after that. Well, you're already seeing some of the prices of these things, just like you said, 25,000, 100,000. There was a million dollar card on the market a couple of weeks ago. So there's three of these cards in existence and they one guy put it up for, for sale. Now he's got it up for rent. So just for context for the people listening, when you guys mentioned the $25,000, it's US dollars valued cards of digital cards from an online game. Yes. Just for perspective. Yes. And <laughs> you play it, you have a chance to get some of those cards because you could actually reveal it in the rewards you get every day. You do the daily quests, you could actually unveil one of these $1,000 cards that are there. You have the chance. And it's you just you buy your spell book and you start playing. And it's play to earn. That's what they're trying. That's their branding right now. So. Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. Diego is going to jump out in a, in a quick second because he, <laughs> yes. he has, to, has to do a drop. Yeah, I, I know. So, so I, I want to uh, – if, if he moves out, then you know why he moved out. I quickly want to jump on. Do you actually own NBA Top Shots? No, I don't. And I, I missed out on that. I'm, I'm a pretty big NBA fan. And I, I really wasn't in tune with the NFTs when it launched. I wasn't really like I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I know what it is. But I wasn't even into Splinterlands that big when Top Shots like okay. released. So, yeah, it's. I think it's still worth it. I think you can still jump in now and get like mm -hmm. two packs for 18 bucks, mm -hmm. uh, which is six moments. It's three dollars a moment. And I mean, you can. You could still, I think they're retiring them soon, but I think it would be really interesting for you as well. But I quickly want to jump back to a, a question earlier because <laughs> it does remind me of something. And <laughs> basically what Raywell was saying, like, remember when Dogecoin was a joke? I quickly want to ask you, what's the craziest crypto story that you've got? I mean, you mentioned that you were into Bitcoin, but... Did, was there like, did you have a bag of Bitcoin still left from 2014 that you opened back up in 2017? Or what was the craziest crypto story there was? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I, the biggest one is like uh, our company, we, we bought mining, miners and the whole nine. And we back then we were mining about a Bitcoin. And at one point, I think we had, I can't even tell you, 75 to 100 of these things, like just sitting there. And that's when we got in at about 100 bucks and we sold them at 500. So my biggest oops is selling at 500. But again, I can't really fault it because we were in profit. I had no idea what the future brought, but I've just seen a lot of people go insane with the stupidest things on the planet when it comes to like things that promise to like do your dishes, walk, walk your dog, like make your bed. And it's all on the blockchain. It's like everything doesn't need to be on the blockchain, guys. Just saying it's on the blockchain is supposed to be like something that goes, oh, I'm going to drop money on this. It's like that's what I've noticed over the years. I really don't get into anything that I don't understand, except for my buddy got me into Safe Moon because I I don't know why. I spent 50 bucks on Safe Moon like an idiot, but you know, it is what it is. That's about it. Other than that, but, I don't really have any. Like, on the flip side, you did get into the drop of Uniswap. Yes. So, I, so yeah. Some advice. <laughs> oh, Uniswap. I, some oh advice for because there are people here who want to get into the crypto space. Like the, the two questions. One question is because we kind of have to uh, round it off. We're taking already an hour of your time. So the yeah. first question is like like we're discussing like we're from Suriname. The three things related to crypto that got the most attention over the past years mm -hmm. are one coin. 
right. <laughs> which isn't really related to crypto, but in some ways related to crypto. Omnia, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Omnia, but it was a company that was mining Bitcoin for you. Okay. Uh, also had a referral tier system as well. And the last one was Dagcoin. Those were really kind of the, the cryptos that got the, the cryptos that got the most. And now, of course, Tron. There apparently is a very big push on Tron in Suriname. Don't ask me why. So what advice would you give to people? You're, you're kind of knowing which way I'm going to go. What advice would you give to people to stay away from those kind of, yeah. How, how can you prepare people to better understand what cryptocurrency and blockchain is really about to avoid these kind of referral based pushy kind of hoping it moves kind of cryptocurrencies it, it goes back to use case but i think like if if you can understand it and i'm not saying understanding as soon as you see it but if you can understand something the more you read it the more you you plug into the community and it makes sense to you that that's a really good really good thing to look into. That's why I was attracted to Hive and Steam because it I understood it. And there was no push. There was no like, oh, join under my downline and get a referral bonus. It was literally plug into the community and start creating. And the more value you give to the community, you'll be rewarded. So if someone's telling you to get into this in 30 days less, you're going to make a million bucks or, or, or more, then that's obviously too good to be true. But if someone's telling you, get into this, start using it, plug into the community, start giving value, and, and especially in these social media type communities and blockchains, now you got something you can look at. But if, if, if something sounds like you're being pushed into something because that person gets a benefit, it's like, and I have nothing against affiliate marketing. I'm an affiliate marketer. I just, it just goes back to the building relationships. You know, that's if, you, if you're building the relationship, then you can suggest something to someone. But if someone's pushing you into something because they get a direct benefit, it's like, OK, OK. But, but can you quickly elaborate a little bit on the difference between affiliate marketing and multi-level marketing? Well, multi-level is, is, is exactly what it says. So, like, if I tell Diego about something, then Diego tells you about it. I get paid from Diego's effort as well as yours. So that's, that's MLM in, in multi-level marketing in a nutshell. Affiliate marketing, while it still has an affiliate aspect to it, it's usually just one level. So Amazon.com's got an affiliate program, not very lucrative, but they've got one. You know, I tell Jean-Luc, here's my link to go buy this, you know, MP3 player or something, whatever. He buys it, I get a little kickback. That's affiliate marketing. So, you know, so affiliate programs and stuff like that, I'm into I'm not against MLM and any stretch of the imagination. I'm not anti-MLM. I just think that the problem is people try to pitch the money-making side of it instead of the product. And I think that's when you get into trouble, when you're pitching the money-making instead of the, I love this product, check out this product. Yeah, well, then we're also getting into the Nigerian Prince thing because they've really refined it. I mean, like, if you compare that coin to one coin, basically they've taken out all the bad things about one coin and kind of refined completely right. refined the product, not even talking about the money aspect anymore, which is really, really interesting. There was also a new one that was claimed to be like, okay, but it's science-backed. And basically the whole thing, the whole story I heard about it was trying to get as many people in the community as big as possible just for getting 
the community as big as possible because once you have a million people, you can basically do anything with them because everything right. where there will be at least a hundred thousand people that it will stick to. So I think that's my biggest worry. The second one is how do you get into airdrops? Like what's a great way to airdrops and what should people know before they go into airdrops? Well, I, I mean, I fell into the Uniswap airdrop completely. And the reason I did is because I had my ear to the street. I was paying attention to what Taskmaster and Marky Mark were saying on Hive. They said that, hey, there's this old coin on Steam. If you go and trade it on this decentralized exchange called Uniswap, you can get money for this thing. And I followed their steps, their directions, traded it out. I got like, you know, a couple hundred bucks, whatever. I was happy, forgot about it. And then all of a sudden, Uniswap's doing an airdrop, 400 tokens. Wait a minute. I used Uniswap. Let me go and see if I'm, if I get this airdrop. Log into Uniswap, ta-da, you got 400 tokens. It's like, well, so how did I get it? I got it by being active, like poking around, actually trying things, but also, you know, keeping your ear to the street. And when someone says, you know, hey, check this out, you don't have to always dive into it, but at least investigate. Like, just do your due diligence, look into stuff. If they're asking you for money, then you kind of go look the other way. But yeah, exactly, exactly. Do research and then do more research. Yeah. Still thinking about Call of Duty. I think Call of Duty all the time is, is bad. It's bad. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I heard about Uniswap. I saw the posts come in, but I was just to focus on studying. It, it doesn't yeah. register. It doesn't register because there's so much. I think I think that's the that's the biggest problem. There's there's just so much. So yes. so for for people starting on I the people watching and I want to start on a hive. What what would be the first step? What would be the first thing that they should do? I have this this little thing I call the five five hundred five thousand formula. So I say interact with you know five people a day go into the communities, go into the different tribes, go into the different front ends, just talk to five different people, make comments on their blog posts, make comments on their videos, et cetera, et cetera. That will turn into 500 followers because the more times you're interacting with people and being active and engaging with people, you're gonna attract people following you and then try to get to 5,000 hive power. Now that doesn't have to be in a day or less because it's not gonna happen. When I started out, the thought of getting to 500 steam power was just out of sight, out of mind, but you just chip away. And if you're focusing on five people a day, just, just interacting with them, building the relationships, adding value to their journey, commenting on their posts, you'll generate the followers, which will in turn generate the hive power because you are getting rewarded for being engaging. So if you're just starting out, don't expect to learn it all overnight poke around, ask questions. You can join the Hive. That's free, completely free. It's got all the lessons you need to get started, but there's tons of other resources out there and just poke around and, and just talk. Don't be afraid to ask questions, comment and comment when you don't feel like commenting. It's, it's a good plan. So, yeah, man. So, okay, Diego, I am back. You want to share I got something? It. <laughs> I got it. Awesome. <laughs> So what is uh, yeah, it? This is you, why I was. Oh, what, that's Gary Vaynerchuk's thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There, there was an airdrop today at 5 p.m. exactly, and there were 1,700 Avastar token, 
and nice. there's 4,600 fee friend holders and each one can claim one avastar so it's first come first sure so wow. i saw the numbers go down by the minute so yeah i got nice. it i'm happy <laughs> I'm, congratulations my, my attention is back here <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Uh, awesome okay diego do you have a final question for for uh, john i really love the way you framed it with the five can you repeat it slowly the five yeah five, five. interactions or engagements 500 followers and 5000 high power that's that's the goal and then just work at that until you hit it yeah how translatable would such a concept be to your real life and then i'm going to maybe ask a off topic question here would you rather read 100 different books or 10 books 10 times? So that's, I actually have about eight bookcases. My wife told me, because we just moved into a new house, she's like, you can't put all eight in your office. Don't do it. It's so you're asking about books, man. The, the, you know, that's my next addiction, you know, so. I've read quite a few books more than 10 times, but those are far and few in between. I think I would go reading 10 different books so you just get a different view of things. Now, not saying that reading a book multiple times wouldn't be a good idea. I've read, you know, As a Man Thinketh by James Allen once a quarter for the past 10 years, you know? So, I mean, that's 30 or 40, 50 times I've read it, but I haven't read any other book that much, you know? So okay. I would say more books, the better. Okay, we, we just gonna have to put your Amazon affiliate link to that <laughs> book in the description of this of this show. We have to do that. So it, I, it, I think it's, uh, dude, I don't even, I think you can just get it for free because the thing was written like 120 years ago. I'm pretty okay. sure it's public domain. You could just go and download it online or, it, or you find yeah, YouTube if videos. You, if, of you it. Have, if you have the Amazon affiliate link, we will. Oh, like I, I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, no, it, that's that's my favorite. Like everyone's like Napoleon Hill's, you know, Think yeah. and Grow Rich is the greatest book ever. I'm like, yeah, it's okay, but you know, As a Man Thinketh by James Allen was my go-to. Like just okay. brilliant stuff. So awesome! Yeah. Thank you for sharing that nugget. That's for sure, for one. sure. That's a good one to know. Yeah, man. Awesome. Now, with that being said, that's it for me, Sean. Look. Um, John, where can people find you? How can they find the Hive Guide? And mm -hmm. what can people expect from you in the short short term? For sure. Thehiveguide.com is, is the website. Also our online affiliate marketing and online business training platforms, clicktrackprofit.com. You can find our front end on Hive, ctptalk.com. It's our little community. I'm John G. Olson on Hive. I should have picked a different username instead of putting the G in there because people call me John Golson and John Go and all sorts of, that was my fault. Branding is very important, folks. <laughs> so yeah, John G. Olson on Hive and John underscore G underscore Olson on Twitter and all the social medias. So, yeah, man, I'm always around. I'm like, I'm like taxes, man. I'm always around when you don't expect me. I'm here to piss you off. So. <laughs> hey, man, this was a really, really fun social compost. We really want to thank you for your time. And I hope a lot of people have learned. I also hope a lot of people will join Hive in the next coming weeks. 
Diego, quickly, when can people uh, expect the audio version of this and where can they find it? Yeah, so as usual, the audio versions will be released on Saturdays on the website at 12 p.m. Surinamese time, that's uh, 11 a.m. Eastern time. And it can be listened on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically any mainstream podcasting platform, share with your friends. This was a very interesting topic, so especially if you're interested in crypto, high blockchain, social media, decentralized social media. This is definitely one worth re-listening to. Appreciate you coming on, John. And with that being said, Jean-Luc. All right. This was the experiment we're doing at 4 p.m. Surinamese time. If you enjoyed this, we'll try to do separate and different time zones and different times as well. But it's always, it's every Tuesday. So I guess see you next Tuesday. Thank you guys for watching. Have a great time. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys.